attributes of a godly character. And the hero word is an acronym, and the H stands for heart of God. Then it's the encouragement from God. R, which we're talking about today, is repentant toward God. And then finally, next week, we'll be looking at obedient to God. And we're looking at the life of a man in the Bible who was known as a man after God's own heart, who received his encouragement from the Lord. He was certainly repentant to the Lord because he wasn't perfect. And he, we can see through the scriptures how he followed the Lord in obedience. And that is a man named David, also known as King David. He was a man who is the great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus Christ. And Jesus himself was known as the son of David. David made the proclamation. He says in in prophetic ways and knowing this from God, that he says, my kingdom will be established and stand forever. He had a big picture view of life and really eternity. But at the same time, he was a man who suffered. And like all people, we do wrong. And what happens and what do we do when we are feeling overwhelmed time and time and time again? The things that we say that we're never going to do again, we find ourselves praying to God, God, it's me again. God, I'm sorry, I'm confessing the same sin again. And I think if you're honest with yourself, we've all done that time And time and time again, God, it's me again. I know I feel bad. I don't want to do this, but I find myself going back to the same things again and again. And if you're a teenager here and you think it's just a teenager thing, and someday when I'm no longer a teenager, when I turn 20, then I won't have these problems anymore. And if you're brave enough to look around, you will see adults going, nope. We suffer and we're going through the same things. And we go, oh, someday when I'm 40, then I won't have to do that anymore. And I was looking forward to that day. And I look back and go, nope. So we have to do something different than just do wrong, confess it, and feel bad and say, well, I guess next time I'll confess it again. And we know the scriptures and we claim the scriptures from God. In the book of 1 John, it says, if you confess your sins, he, as God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that is absolutely true. But we don't want to continue going back to sin, so we have to do something different. And there's a beautiful word called repentance. Repentance, to give you a definition of the word, if you have your bulletin, you can follow along in your bulletin and see some of the things written out there. And there's a definition also on the screen for you that says, a change of mind regarding sin. You're going to call sin what God calls sin. You're going to call the things that you do, that even though you do feel bad, but you're going to say, this is what God calls this sin. So it's a change of mind regarding sin. And it goes on and it says, an inward turning from our sin toward God. And the word repentance literally means a changing of mind. I was going one direction and I found out that I was going the wrong direction. So I repented of that 
and now I'm going to go the correct direction. That's literally what the word repentance means. And in the Christian life, we can continue going down the wrong path and go, God, I really feel bad and continue going down the pathway away from God and toward our sin. You can feel bad, but not actually change your mind about it. You can feel bad and even ask God to forgive you and then go right back to the same thing again. And thank God that he continues to be faithful and just and he forgives us our sins and he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. But we're called to live different lives. And in order to be a hero, having the attributes of a godly character, what sort of things are we going to do different? And that's what we find in the book of 2 Samuel. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Samuel chapter number 11. We're going to look at 2 Samuel chapter 11 and then chapter 12 and also a book of Psalm chapter number 51 today. But as you're turning there, it says in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter number 7 verse 10, For ungodly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So you see, repentance is not the same as just apologizing. Repentance isn't the same as saying, I'm sorry I hurt you. And in a husband and wife relationship, or really any relationship, apologizing is incredibly important. If you never apologize, you got some serious problems. If you just go, nope, she knows that I'm sorry, I'm never going to tell her. Apologizing is important. But repentance is not the same as just saying, I'm sorry. Repentance is not the same as just acknowledging that you have done wrong. Repentance is a total change of mind. We're going to use the, a very serious story in the life of David while he was king of Israel. And I'm going to give you the brief overview of chapter 11 and chapter 12 of 2 Samuel. And we're going to refer back to the Bible several times. And then we're going to go to Psalm 51 and just talk about that repentance and that change. And we'll make some application for our lives. So in the beginning, I'm just going to tell you the story. So sit back and relax and get ready for a Bible story we found in 2 Samuel chapter number 11. To give you some background, this is during a season of the year, what's known as the season where the men go out and fight war. You see, in those times, they were very dependent upon their crops, very dependent upon their sheep and their cattle. And there was certain times of the year that you had to tend to those things. You had to plant the fields, get ready. And while those things were growing, the men were kind of sitting around going, you know what, this is probably a pretty good time to go have a war. And so they would go out for war, and then when harvest time would come along, they would go back and say, all right, we're done now, and go back and harvest their fields and get ready for the next season. So during this season, David, the king, would traditionally have led his troops into battle. And they would have defended their borders or made conquests into other areas in order to receive spoils. And this year, David, for the Bible doesn't tell why, decided, you know what, I'm going to send my general off to do that. I'm going to send the men off to war, but I'm going to sit back and just take this season off. And I'm sure he can justify why he didn't lead the way that he was supposed to lead, but he sat back and as he was on the rooftop one day, he looked down and he saw what he saw was a, a beautiful young maiden who was bathing on top of her rooftop. 
And I'm not going to go into any detail there. But he was bathing on top of a rooftop. And that wasn't in and of itself sinful. You see something you're not supposed to see? We often have those temptations where we, are, we see something we're not supposed to see and we turn away and we go, oh, I'm not going to look back that way. That happens all the time. You can't literally go anywhere or anywhere on your computer or anything around the shops or at the beach and not see things that could possibly become sinful. So David seeing something that he shouldn't have seen in and of itself wasn't sinful. He should have turned away. But instead, as it says in verses 3 and 4, of 2 Samuel 11. So David sent and inquired about the woman. He had a second look. And verse 4, So David sent messengers and took her. Bathsheba, after a period of time, this was woman that he saw was a lady named Bathsheba. She had a husband named Uriah. Uriah was a man that was known to David. He was a man who was actually part of David's warriors and if you read through other scriptures he was a man that actually was a very mighty man himself and he had his wife Bathsheba scripture doesn't say they've had any children of their own Bathsheba sends word and says David I'm pregnant and the baby is yours now you think of all the thoughts that are going through David's head he's the king what is he going to do? What are people going to say about me? What if other people found out? And David begins to process in his mind, how am I going to get away with this? So his first thought was, I'm going to be smart about this. And he sent word and brought Uriah back to give a report of the battle because that was actually something that was often done. And he'd bring him back and then he says, your reward after you hear how the battle's going, go back home, go to your wife, and then you can go back to the battle. And Uriah was an honorable man. And he goes, if my men are back sleeping on the ground, I'm not going to go and spend the night with my wife. I'm going to stay in the gate of the, of the city, and I'm going to sleep there overnight. And David begins the process. Okay, step one didn't work. Try step two, get him drunk. And they brought him in again and said, stay one more day. And they got Uriah drunk and they said, now he's going to definitely go back and go back. Spend the night with your family. Spend the night with your wife. Enjoy the comforts of home. And Uriah again didn't do that. He went back and slept in the gate. And David's now going, step two didn't work. What am I going to do? Then David wrote a note to his general and it made Uriah himself carry it back to the battle. That note said, when you're in the heat of battle, retreat and leave Uriah where he's going to be killed. And that's exactly what happened. And David later on hears the word that, the, that, that Uriah was killed in battle. And of course, Bathsheba begins to mourn and they're crying. If you look at the end of chapter number 11, verse number 27, there's a mourning period. And Bathsheba is still pregnant, but she's mourning. And she says in verse 27, when the morning was over, that is the morning as in the time of mourning. That's seven days traditionally of mourning that they would have for a loved one. So basically seven days after Uriah has been killed, David sent and brought her into his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. David thinks to himself, step one didn't work. I tried number two, didn't work. Number three, I got rid of him. Now, how am I going to hide this? Um, you become my wife. 
and then we'll just act like, oh, honeymoon baby, fantastic, tremendous. Everything's okay. We're going to be able to hide it. And the end of verse number 27 says, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. The child is born. Everything seems to be okay on the outside. He's got away with it. But on the inside, David has a season of going through the motions of his religion. And he has a faith, but he's going through just the motions of religion. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And he's lost, and the scripture talks about other places, the joy of his salvation. He says, I know what is true, but I've lost the joy of my salvation. I, on the outside, look like I have it all together, but on the inside, I know what I have done. And I'm, I've said sorry, but you know what? I'm just going to continue the lie, and if no one else finds out. And the key behind that is, if everyone thinks that I'm okay, then I must be okay. And that's not what we find at all. And God sent a prophet named Nathan. If you have your Bibles, the next chapter over, chapter number 12, continues on that account. And Nathan was a true friend to David. With that friendship, he came in and he stood before the throne, stood before his king, a man who was a murderer and an adulterer. And he stands before him and tells him a story about a man who had multitudes of sheep and cattle, was incredibly wealthy, and then another man who only had one sheep, and that sheep was much like the, the family pet. Like you have a dog or a cat that's just there all the time. That was this little lamb that the family had. And when this rich man had a guest come and visit, rather than taking one of the multitude of his, one of his own sheep in order to give to the guest, he goes and steals it from the man that only had the one. And this enrages David. And David cried out for justice and says, whatever's happened here is going to happen. This man's going to be paying fourfold for whatever he did. And Nathan did something, and I found a picture that was actually, it's not, a, it's not a photograph. It's an old picture, and it's a man who has a beard and a bony finger, and that's exactly how I've always imagined Nathan the prophet, standing before his king, and he pointing a finger, and Nathan said to David, you are the man. Now, normally, with a different inflection, you are the man is something we like to be called. You are tremendous. That's not what we see at all. This is you are the man who has stolen something that does not belong to you. You've tried to cover it up. You're carrying this burden. And now David has a choice. Is he going to return to his murderous ways and kill Nathan, the prophet of God? Is he going to try to hide his sin or is he going to repent of it and allow God to change him in his life? Is he going to continue on the pathway of sin and continue that way? Or is he going to turn and say, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to let God work in my heart, in my life. There's a punishment that Nathan and some serious charges that Nathan brings before David. Verse number nine, he says, Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? The definition of repentance, again, is a change of mind regarding sin and God, an inward turning from sin to God. principle for today is this. To be a godly hero, I will turn away from my sin and toward God. 
To be a godly hero, I, I and notice it has to be personal, will turn away from my sin and toward God. This morning, I am going to go very quickly through some application for us. If you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 51. We're going to be primarily there. I'm going to refer back to chapter number 12 of, of 2 Samuel, but primarily in, in Psalm 51. And the title of Psalm 51 says this, To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Just something I find remarkable with that title. The title isn't verse number one. It's right before then, but it's the title of the psalm. And the way that it would have been written was that would have been public knowledge now. David was no longer hiding it. Now this is public knowledge. Everyone knows exactly what he did. And what we find here is the focus. What is the focus of repentance? The focus is always toward God. And that's our first point this morning, focus. The focus was Cleanse me. When David heard the news, you are the man. David responded and he said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. You see, David certainly sinned against Uriah. He sinned against his family. He sinned against Bathsheba and her family. He dishonored her on both sides of the family. But first and foremost, David's sin was between him and God. His relationship was broken between his creator and him. And he cries out and he says, cleanse me. In Psalm 51, the first four verses says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against you. And you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. If you see verse number one, you'll see three foundational steps of repentance. Verse number one says, have mercy upon me. First and foremost, he cried out for God's mercy. He didn't ask for God's justice because justice means you got to pay for the sin on yourself. He's saying, God, I want the favor that I do not deserve. I want your mercy. So cry out for mercy. The second thing was he says, what do we base that mercy or that, that plead upon? It goes secondly, it's based upon God's love. The second part says, according to your steadfast love. We don't cry out for God's mercy and say, because you hate us or because you don't want the best for us. We cry out for, in God for his mercy because he loves us. And from the very beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, we see the thread of the beautiful gospel story of Jesus Christ thread throughout the scriptures and even in these times of, of horrible sin we can see the wonderful truth from God we can see that he says we can find the love of God even in times of desperation finally it says blot out my transgressions how is God going to blot out your transgressions how is he going to cleanse you from your sin 
The only way he could do that is the way that he did it, and that is through sending his son, Jesus Christ, to earth. When God sent his son, Jesus, to earth, he lived a perfect life. He died a cruel death on a cross, and he rose from the dead victoriously so that you and I can have our sin blotted out. We can have a a relationship with the creator of the universe. And what we see there is something absolutely incredible. A prophecy spoken by God through the prophet Isaiah. So Isaiah 43, verses 11 and 25. This is Isaiah the prophet quoting God. And God said this, I, I am the Lord. And besides me, there is no Savior. Verse 25 goes on, God again says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. And the beautiful thing there, and I will not remember your sins. So oftentimes we look at things like germs and we look at things like our hands and we say, because my hand looks clean to my eyes, then it must be clean. And now that we've been through a couple of years of COVID protocols, we are very familiar with certain signs in bathrooms. And maybe you've taken the time to read it. And there are steps in order to wash your hands. And something I found remarkable was the World Health Organization has a chart that has 11 separate steps of how to wash your hands. And there's a correct way to wash your hands. And it's more than just get them wet. Because although they look clean on the outside, if you were going into surgery, you would want your surgeon to correctly clean their nails and to correctly wash their hands to make sure that there's absolutely nothing. You don't just want to go, yeah, it looks okay to me. Because if you ask the average child, they're absolutely clean. Our missionary in Vanuatu, Jeremy Paneros, tells a story about um, being with some, some people that live on the islands that are living very third world lives. And they're incredibly literal people. And so as he was describing various things, they were trying to help them both spiritually, but also uh, in, in a practical way in regards to their health. And one of the easiest ways to help not spread disease is, of course, to wash your hands. And so Jeremy was explaining to to these group of of people how to wash your hands because there was germs on them. Now, germs, of course, are microscopic little things. And these tiny things, you can't see them. And these people in Vanuatu, were uh, they're, they're intelligent people. And they thought very logically. And they laughed at Jeremy when he said, you have to wash your hands because there's germs in your hand. And they go, there's no germs on my hands. You see, so often we're a similar way. We're thinking because it looks okay, then it must be okay. And God says, I'm going to cleanse you and I'm going to make you clean the way that you can never do yourself. No amount of hand washing, no amount of showering or making yourself look like you're presentable is ever going to get you clean enough. So therefore, we have to focus first and foremost upon God. When we are repenting, we are focused on him first and foremost. The second is an act of forgiveness and acceptance of the forgiveness. That's our second point this morning. The forgiveness and the cry out. We see in verse number seven. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. David had a choice when he was confronted by the prophet Nathan. He was given the kindest thing he could possibly be told. He was told the truth. 
You are the man. You imagine the burden that he'd been carrying around, trying to hide it for all of this time, and now it's out, it's in the open, and he has a choice of how he's going to respond. And we see in the book of Ephesians, chapter number 4, verse 15, it says, speaking the truth in love. That's exactly what Nathan did. He spoke the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. You see, when we discover the truth of God, when we are told the truth of God, whether someone's sharing with us or through the Holy Spirit, with the Bible telling us the truth, we have a choice of how we are to respond. And when we respond correctly, we turn and change our minds. Back to 2 Samuel chapter number 12. When David responded, he says in verse number 13, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And that's not the end of it. Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Quick pause right there. In the Old Testament times, there was absolutely no provision of a pathway of forgiveness under the law for David to somehow pay for his murder or pay for his adultery. There was no sacrifice that says, if you murder someone and you, have a, you know, commit adultery, then do this, this, and this, and then God will cleanse you. We don't find that provision at all. That's why David had to cry out to the Lord for his mercy, because God, you're the only one that can forgive me. There's no process here of forgiveness. Do you know something beautiful? It's the Old Testament time. We don't find that in the New Testament times, thank God. And he goes on and, and he says, Nevertheless, because of, the, of this deed, you have utterly scorned the Lord. And here's the punishment. It's a severe punishment. The child who is born to you shall die. That's a serious punishment that God gave. The child did pass away. And David mourned the loss of, or really mourned more the punishment. And after the, after the child passed away, he got up, he washed himself, and he said, okay, I'm ready to move forward in this repentance. You see, in our lives, our lives are filled with rubbish. You may not have be able to personally relate to exactly what David has experienced there. All of us have rubbish in our life. It says in verses 3 and verse 5 of that passage, For I know my transgressions. And my sin is ever before me. And he goes on, verse 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. He says, this is exactly who I am. He's acknowledging the fact that his life is filled with rubbish. In the Old Testament times, we have the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments are a tremendous guide for our lives. But you realize when Jesus Christ came to earth, when he began to teach his disciples, he didn't say, I'm going to fulfill the law and the prophets, which he did, and then make it easier. He actually raises the bar. You see, in, in the book of Matthew, chapter number five, Jesus talks about murder and he talks about adultery. But he doesn't lower the standard. He actually raises the bar and he says the forgiveness has to be through him. He says in verse numbers 21 and 22, you have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder. That's the sixth commandment. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. This is Jesus' words. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. So in other words, he raises the bar. He says not just murder. He says if you're angry with your brother or your sister, which is really tough because we've all, if you have siblings, you've been angry. 
And if you maybe go to work tomorrow and you think oh, that person, that, make sure you have that knot in your stomach. That's what it's talking about here. Jesus has raised the bar. He goes on with adultery and he says, you have heard that it is said you shall not commit adultery. That's the seventh commandment. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus raises the bar. You realize that according to that, I can dare say that every single person here today has committed adultery and murder in their hearts. According to that scripture there. That's tough. We must repent and we must receive the forgiveness of God and we must allow God to work in our lives to turn us towards righteousness. And that's where we see restoration. With our restoration, it's a beautiful thing like recycling. He takes something that was old and something that is dirty and something that doesn't naturally have value and he reforms it and makes it new. And now we are profitable and we have incredible value and we're a valuable resource for him. That's Psalm 51 verses 9 through 12 says, Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Here we see a beautiful biblical doctrine called justification. And justification is this, is the definition, the act of God. Notice who's it from? It's not my act, it's God's act. Whereby he declares the believing sinner righteous in Jesus Christ. It's so easy to dwell on our failures. It's so easy to rehearse in our minds everything we've ever done wrong. And it comes back time and time and time again. And it's naturally and physically impossible for you and I to remove our memories. But God says, I'm going to remove this from my memory. I'm going to remove this from your account. And now God being God, I don't think he has the ability to, to forget everything. But at the same time, he goes, I'm no longer going to look at you and see the sin. I'm going to see you through Jesus Christ, much like a, a judge in a courtroom. All you want to hear is the judge to say, not guilty. Because it's no longer on your account. The charges that you were charged with are no longer there. You've been declared not guilty by the eternal judge God. And it's not because of your goodness. It's because of Jesus Christ. David had restoration. And we see a, a, what would naturally in our society be something uncomfortable. David has brought in Bathsheba into his own home. And he's added her as one of his wives. And God does something here that is, honestly, it, it makes, is a cursory reading of, this is a bit uncomfortable. But he began to think through what God has done. He says, I have forgiven you. I've cleansed you. I've washed you clean. I'm restoring you. And now God says, I'm going to take what was once something that would have seen as dirty or used, and I'm going to use it for my glory. Let's, let's continue reading in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 24 and 25. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba. This is after the child had passed away. And he went into her and lay with her, and she bore a son. And here is, she now has a second son. And he called his name Solomon. 
and the Lord loved him. And he sent a message by Nathan the prophet, so that he called his name Jedediah. If you are a Star Wars fan, you can remember here, Jedi, okay? Jedediah, because of the Lord. When I and my wife named our children, we had three prerequisites to naming our children. First and foremost was, do we know anyone by that name that hurt us or bullied us in primary school or high school? And some names that I thought were excellent names, Tammy goes, nope, there's no way I'm ever naming my child that name. Notice my, child, my children are not named any of your names. <laughs> the second prerequisite was, is it something that I can shout? This is true. I would practice. Notice all my children's names only have one or two syllables because you, can, you can't shout a four-syllable name across the house easily. That's why it's Tate, Riley, Caden. And you can shout them really well, and it, that was a prerequisite. I practiced around the house. The third was, and this is also serious, my wife had to approve. That was a three prerequisites to naming our children. Be honest with you, we didn't particularly consider the meaning of the name. I did work out, are these, any of these names satanic? But they're not, so that was a prerequisite. But other than that, we really didn't look at the definitions of names. But here David called his son Solomon. Do you know what the word Solomon means? It's a name that simply means peaceful. So therefore, when David looked at his child, he no longer said, you know what, I really messed up and you remind me every time I look at you of how I've messed up and I've murdered and I've disappointed God and I have the sin upon me. He looks at his child and says, peaceful, which is also quite prophetic in Solomon's life that he was going to have a peaceful reign. But then Nathan, the prophet of God, comes and he gives him a second name, the name Jedidiah. And Jedidiah is a name that means Beloved. Well, you may look at your past and say, you know what, God, there's no way you could possibly redeem this. There's no way you could possibly take the sinfulness that I did and somehow through your mercy blot out my transgression to wash me clean and somehow refresh this and make this fresh and new and make it so I look at this and say, you are peaceful and you are beloved. David never forgot his sin because it was impossible for him to forget his sin. But when David looked at his wife and he looked at his son, he didn't see sin. He saw peace and he saw love. That's something beautiful that we can grasp onto. And it comes from a beautiful word called repentance. It doesn't come from saying, I'm sorry. It doesn't come from just acknowledging that you did wrong. This is the turning away and saying, God, I'm going to now follow you. I'm going to let you work in my life. The result of this is something we're going to work on more next week, talking about obedience. This is the fruit. What's the result of when our focus is upon God, when our forgiveness is through His Son, Jesus Christ, we now have the ability to have fruit. And David cries out to God and says, God, I want you to use me. Previously, on the outside I looked good, but on the inside I wasn't used by you. And he says in verse number 13, he says, then I will teach. Now I'm going to be able to take what I've learned and tell others and teach others what the wonderful love and the mercy and the forgiveness and the restoration and the repentance towards God. He says, then I will teach transgressors your ways. And here's the key. Sinners will return to you. Have you ever considered that God can somehow take your worst failure 
and turn it around and help other people turn to God through that? That took a lot of humility from David, but it didn't come from natural humility. It came because he was repentant toward God and God did something that only God can do in his life. David was able to take this and teach others. I've gone through a story of the Bible that we could literally spend an entire series on delving into deeper. And we scratched the surface of it today. My challenge to you, and we said a few weeks ago on our anniversary Sunday, we want to be known as a church after God's own heart. We want to be known as a church that finds its encouragement in the Lord. We want to be known as a church that is repentant towards God. We don't cover our sin. We confess it and we turn away from it and we're different as a result. And you know what we can do? Now we can teach others and have a wonderful message of the gospel to share. But I want to take just a few moments not to lose this moment. If you still have your Bibles open in the book of Psalm 51, you're going to see the first four verses. All of us today need to read this over. And we're going to spend about three or four minutes just quietly reflecting upon these verses. I'm going to read them right now. And then just bow your heads, close your eyes, spend some time in prayer for the Lord. And then after a few moments, I'll pray and we can all stand and sing a song. But we don't want to miss this moment. Maybe God's working in your heart right now and he's brought something to your mind that you think, I don't want anyone to know about this. I'm not particularly interested in your junk. I don't need to know it. And go, hmm, let me know your gossip. But God needs to know. Let me read that scripture for you. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Let's spend a few moments in prayer.